This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Hello Tomorrow is a new series from Apple TV Plus about traveling salesmen selling timeshares on the moon in a very retro future. It looks like the 1950s, but with cool gadgets. We'll meet the cast and also the showrunners in a moment. To start us off, our Billy Crudup from Justice League and Watchmen as head salesman Jack, with Nicholas Pareni as Joey, his protege. Guys, it's great to talk to you. Billy, I had the pleasure of seeing you in No Man's Land on Broadway. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you, Tony. I love that play. That's a great play. Oh, you were terrific. And, and kind of segueing to my first question for both of you, and Billy first, do you think there's a little bit of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross in this particular production? Most definitely. The, you know, I thought of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and I thought of, I don't know if you remember this film, uh, Tin Men, uh, that was a uh, Barry Levinson movie. Uh, guys selling alum- aluminum siding in the 50s, 60s. Uh, fabulous movie. But I, I kind of grew up around characters like that because my dad was a salesman. It's very familiar to me. And, it, you know, in our memories, as the the agonizing parts kind of linger away, you everything becomes gilded. And all the, you know, people who were kind of scary in, in my life younger, like uh, my dad's uh, henchman, Mr. O, a six foot four former boxer with a pit bull named Bullet. He Whoa. now becomes beautiful in my mind. Ah, Mr. O. You know, but there, there there's a, there's a feature to to, um, to this world and to um, uh, those lives of Tinman and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, that's both uh, gilded with hope and um, uh, dragged down with desperation. Mm-hmm. Nicholas, uh, Joey is kind of in a bad place when we start. Kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I based Joey off of Mr. O. Uh, <laughs> that's crazy. What? You just get, toss that one out. Um, uh, yes, Joey is. Um, he's in a. He's in an interesting spot. He. Uh, his father left when he was two years old. Um, he was raised by a single mother, and I think uh, b- before the camera ever lands on him, he's found a life which is content. He has. Uh, understood that he has to work to pay the bills to help his mom out, and that's what his life is gonna be, and any dreams of running off are uh, ridiculous and going to hurt uh, his mother and the people he loves. Just in time for, um, for uh, an event to happen and Jack to enter his life and tell him that yes, in fact, dreams are worth having, and in fact, it's not just your own dreams, you can change people's lives and what an incredible idea and it sets him down this path which um was so thrilling to play because it's so mixed up with guilt and heartbreak and loneliness and contentment and terror (laughs) terror there is some terror Terror. there's some terror (laughs) so billy what is it about joey that attracts Jack. A great question. Where to uh, begin? Yeah, where to begin? Yeah, I guess there's something familiar about him. Uh, he sees maybe a bit of himself in him. Uh, uh, there is the hope. There is the um, awareness. Again, Jack is a master at reading people. That's really his gift. Is he loves people? That's why he knocks on the doors. He wants to. He wants to see what you need. He wants to be there to counsel, to help, and obviously maybe make a little scratch on the side. And when he sees Joey upon first glance, he sees the longing. He sees the. Um, 
uh, confusion, the despair. It's just mm. apparent to him like that. And his, Jack's natural instinct, and it's something that um, the fantastic Hanifa Wood says uh, midway, I think, through the second or third uh, episode. Stop with the boy. You can't save everyone because mm. uh, he has. She knows he has this feature in him that he wants to save people, like a great evangelist. And um, so he sees in young Joe. Uh, lost soul in need of uh, uh, of saving. You know, actually, you you mentioned that there's a bit of a preacher in him a bit because he's selling them on a religion, so to speak, to buy on the moon. That's that's how I felt when I first read it. I, I thought that he, he's not a salesman as much as he is a believer. He's someone who truly has faith in this idea uh, and in this system of thinking, and that. We should never, that contentment is a, um, a pejorative term, that that is a way of signaling that you've given up, that we should always keep reaching for something better. And lesson, we need those kind of people. We need, but not everybody can be that kind of person. That's a very strange experience. And most of our lives are not like that. And most of our, our most of humanity could use a little contentment, frankly. Hmm. Uh, so the belief system that Jack has uh, um, adopted is one that he'll never give up. But um, I'm not sure is always to his best effect. Yeah, yeah something like that. Well, you can both answer this. Uh, starting with Joey, uh, with Nicholas, rather. What's it like to play in this like alternate history kind of thing with, but set in the sort of a futuristic 1950s? It's brilliant. When I first read the script, I immediately wanted answers. I wanted to know what had happened that would put us in this world. Like why, what, what war was oh, fought right. or wasn't fought, <laughs> but. Which portal did we go uh, through yeah, in the right. universe? Like, the why is it all happening? And what was so lovely is I think the show just allows this world to be a character on its own. It, it's, it's presented because if we were to do um, a, a futuristic version from 2023 onwards, like let's say 2060, and it's not post-apocalyptic, all of us would be a little surprised if it was so optimistic suddenly. Uh, we've solved everything. But in, to, to put it in the 50s, what the 50s thought the future would be, it justifies a lot of the characters' decisions and a lot of the characters' optimism and all of their hope that if I get that one extra thing, it will solve my life. And it's so earnest. It's so earnest in every way. It's not like, it's not com commenting on like, oh, but but really, it's, 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 it's deep down horrible. You find that out uh, like in moments for yourself, but the world is so earnestly trying well, we are at least as these doors. No, the world, the world is true. Absolutely, and the entire all of Vistaville. Yeah, wants all of better, Vistaville. They want better for themselves. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. It's very nostalgic for me from the '50s films I grew up. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this show. Appreciate it. Fantastic. Oh, good. good. I'm so glad. Thank Hope you, you enjoy. Okay. Take care, guys. Sci-fi talk returns in a moment. Here's more from the press notes. When we meet Jack. He leads an internal team of salespeople, hawking these lunar homes and timeshares for the bright side lunar residences. They've just arrived in Vistaville, a 1950s space age suburb replete with the latest mod cons from hover coops to chatty domestic robots. 
Jack tells customers the moon is the place for real people to start fresh and enjoy the lives they truly deserve. He is affectionately optimistic, forever focused on a brighter future, but also, as we will learn, forever running from darker secrets, both personal and professional, that make up his past. That disconnect between the dreamy sales pitch and the flawed human reality is what drives the retro-futuristic half-hour dramedy. Next are Hanifa Wood as Shirley and Duchesne Williams, one of the salesmen, called Herb. You know, right off the bat, the thing that strikes me about the show is apparently in this alternate timeline or alternate future or whatever, race doesn't seem to be an issue. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Never thought about it. It wasn't even... uh wasn't mentioned, right. wasn't a thing. We yeah. just stepped into these roles. Mm. It had nothing uh, to do with anything, which kind of felt liberating. nice. Exactly. Exactly. Well, there's something to aspire to, I'll tell you, that's for sure. Hanifa, boy, I mean, your character and, and Hank's character, I guess we can say that they 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 crisscross a little bit. So let's we can say that. What's it like to uh, to play him and to play this particular character? Well, initially, I really griped with how does a woman love a man that's so dysfunctional? But then I had to look into my own dysfunction, Shirley's own dysfunction, and um, what would attract her to him. And he brings me sunshine where it seemed really dim in my life for many years. And so when you've been lacking sunshine for so long and you get some you want more and i think that that's her attraction to him is that he brings life to her and so i think it's easy it's easy to love uh, eddie even in all of his toxicness because his heart is so big and you can tell that he just wants to do well and wants to be well um and so i think shirley sees that part of him and then she kind of disregards or throws to the side the other parts so that she can so that it can seem uh, logical that she's with him. But I think there's a lot to love with Eddie. So it's, it's, it just is what it is. Relationships be like that sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Deshane, I mean, what's it like to kind of play this guy that has to go around selling essentially timeshares on the moon? I think it's akin to an actor having to sell their talent to get onto a show. I mean, you get told no a lot, but that doesn't stop you from persisting mm. and uh, trying your best because you know on the other side of that is something that you really want. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. For starting with Anifa and then you to Shane, uh, what's it like to kind of play in this future where? Everything is 1950s, but not exactly 1950s. Mm. Well, I think it's kind of easy for me to put myself within the given circumstances of the whole world of it. I, I, even though I knew it was retro futuristic, I just saw myself as surely living in this time. So it didn't take me away from anything. I mean, it's kind of cool. I think the concept is really dope. And, um, and definitely something that we haven't seen. So that was intriguing to me, but getting into it, stepping into those shoes, once I'm in there, I'm in there. Um, and I don't question what's around me. 
So that's my experience with it. It was like a dream, you know, there was, there was a point in time when I was younger and I dreamt of stuff like this, you know? And so like, isn't this what it's about for an actor? When you go, you submerse yourself in a character and, and then there are other things that help build the world in which that actor or character gets to live. You know, this is what you ask for, right? We have great robots. We have these flying cars. I wish I got to take one of those cars. (laughs) You know, and um, it helps you. The subtle CGI helps the audience fall deeper into the reality of this world. Mm -hmm. This is what I I, I think. And um, I saw the trailer and I was just like, wow. And when everyone's doing their jobs, like the other actors around you, the crew, the creators, when everybody is stepping up, it's so easy Mm -hmm. to be a part of this world. You believe it. Because they care. Because, because they're because everybody their best. on this show cared. Everyone everybody. was exhibiting at least one characteristic of one of the characters on the show. <laughs> we're all trying to create something. I know. In a way, while we were making the show, we were doing we, what. While we were creating the show, we were all hoping. Yeah. Like the show. Yeah. We were hoping <laughs> and dreaming. <laughs> uh, it's good to dream. And Aoife, Jack really relies on your character a lot. Yeah. Yes. So you're you're his pretty much his number one. Yeah, his right-hand man. If you let Shirley tell it, she's the one that runs the whole entire show. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I I think, like I said earlier, Shirley, he he pulled her from this mundane, boring life and gave her a purpose. And her job is now her purpose. And then also he, from pulling her up, she's able to be with Eddie and she met him and that changed her whole entire world. So yeah, her, her and Jack, I would say she would call them partners as opposed to Jack being her boss, you know, mm-hmm. he's my partner. Yeah. Shane, starting with you. <laughs> What'd you say? No, no, no it was cool. Uh, Shane, starting with you, it, it seems that the, one of the themes of this is, kind of dreaming or dreaming towards something, starting with you and then, you know, Hanifa comment as well. Uh, Is there a question? Yeah, it's like one of the themes being that this is about dreaming and aspiring to something. Um, Yes, I mean, the idea of dreaming is something we could all relate to because we were all once boys and girls or little young folks that were trying to imagine what the future would be like. And we had dreams right from the get go. Um, some of us are fortunate enough to uh, pursue those dreams and have some really cool things happen and others of us aren't as fortunate but I think a show like this um, reminds people of their own dream and the times when if, if you still have your dream alive or if you've been able to fulfill it to some degree like that appreciation that is possible mm. you know mm-hmm. the possibilities of the future might be beyond your wildest imagination. I think with the show, we're all or all the characters in the show are just dreaming and hoping that there is something better than what is right now. There's a a song in Sweet Cherry is like, there's got to be something better than this. I feel like that's what we're (laughs) trying to go towards or think that there's something better than what's here right, right here and right now. And is that true? Like, is it better on the moon? 
Are things going to be better there? Are we going to feel more love there? Are we going to feel happier there? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the happiness is right here, right now, even in the midst of the muck. Yeah, absolutely. Just really briefly, uh, you know, starting with Deshane, you know, it just seems to me that, uh, you know, this kind of this kind of ensemble is a really well put. Everybody was well cast in this. And, and the, the showrunners wanted to do this as an ensemble rather than just being Billy's show. Kind of comment on that a little bit and, and people you work with. I felt that right from the beginning, the creators of the show and Apple were really trying to make this, the magnitude of this bigger than each individual. And that's what's required of us, not only as human beings, like playing these roles, but the characters need that little twinkle in the eye. Um, coming to work with people like Hank or Billy and like Hanifa and Allison, it's like, I don't think I've ever experienced that level of like just awe. And um, it was, I try my best not to be distracted by how much like I respect everyone and how like how much of a fan I am of everyone. Mm -hmm. They're so brilliant and uh, I'm just glad to be in such good company. So I want to say that my experience was one where I felt such value, like they appreciated everything that I brought to the table. And the fact that we are an ensemble cast, it just made it feel like home, which you don't get a lot. And the fact that we all like each other is pretty extraordinary and that we root for each other. But I think it starts with our number one, right? It starts with Billy. And it also starts with our creators who, to me, they were like childlike. They were so excited about the process. Didn't that make you excited? That it made all of us excited. So we were all like kids on a playground, right? I mean, thank God we were getting adult checks. <laughs> <laughs> but it just made the whole thing feel like home. And that's a blessing because you don't get that a lot. Well, thank you both, and uh, thank you for singing a little bit there. That was pretty cool. Right. You guys take care. Have a great Thank one. you so Have much. Take care. Here's more from the press notes. The robots of Hello Tomorrow were manufactured at Jet Sets in Los Angeles and were brought to life on set by recurring puppeteers, John Hosh, Dorothy James, Spencer Lott, and John Riddleberger, along with bot wrangler Jessica Messina and prop master Eric Chirica and his props team. In Hello Tomorrow and Alternate 1950s, there's a gadget for everything, from curling your hair to dictating a letter to simulating the aroma of a prime rib roast. And creating that world are showrunners Amit Balia and Lucas Jensen. Great to talk Hi, to you, Jamie. Jamie. Very nice to meet you. Yeah, same here. This, uh, this show is close to my heart from uh, the old uh, films I grew up on, so I kind of dig that. So glad oh, to hear man, that. I'm glad to hear that. For Lucas, is there maybe just a little bit of the play going Gary Gim Ross kind of creeping its way into this? Oh, sure. I mean, what a brilliant play. Uh, but 
Look, the salesman to us is a deeply iconic and tragic American hero. And whether you're getting it from Mamet, who's brilliant with it, or from Arthur Miller, or from the Maisel's Brothers, brilliant documentary salesman, Amit and I have been for a long time fascinated with salesmen as embodying something that is both so hopeful and potent, but also so desperate and tragic in in the American spirit and, and in Jack Billings, you know, we hope to sort of add to that pantheon a salesman who is incredibly capable and incredibly persuasive and charming. As anybody, if you watch five minutes of Billy Crudup in this role, you want everything he's given you. But also who believes it's because he believes so deeply in all the promises he's making to his customers and and and. To what extent can that salesman inspire people, but also to what extent will that salesman lead a life that's incredibly precarious? Because the distance between those promises and that pitch and the lived reality is is a dramatic distance. And it's the distance that the show of Hello Tomorrow exists in. Mm-hmm. I mean, tell me about kind of planning this world and how it's going to look. Obviously, it's an alternate 1950s reality. So talk about that a little bit. So, you know, there's a lot to it. And obviously there's a lot of designers, production designers, costume designers, prop masters who 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 form this world. Um, you know, it, it is it is essentially us taking advertisements from mid-century America for a great, a great future and saying, well, what happens when you live in them? And what happens to us, you know, is that the, the robots don't work all the time and the, the you know there's a little motor oil in your coffee and the hover cars you know all dragging on the curb a little bit you know that, that in fact we the deep goal was to make a world that felt lived in and was and meant making all the robots and gadgets practically and 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 filming you know it meant having making sure everything's rusted and stained in a way that 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 allowed for these kind of human dramas to play over them and and, not, and to to lean away from from our visions of of that world which are shiny and you know and uh, and, and wholly optimistic uh, uh kind of you know unlike the show in some ways lucas as far as setting the tone of this series it's mostly a comedy, but do dramatic elements kind of creep in there a little bit? Yeah, I mean, when we think about tone, <laughs> this is a dramedy. This yeah. is a dramedy. <laughs> I mean, we love the half hour format. And right now you can do things in the half hour format that have an epic scope, which is I, I don't think that's ever been possible before. So it's both very intimate and very vast. Um, I mean, sometimes we call it an epic fable. Uh, and it's it's got operatic elements and it's got, you know, beautiful family drama, we hope. Uh, but when we think of tone, our big touchstones for this are also nostalgic and the mid-century work of Billy Wilder, of Frank Capra, of Preston Sturgis, of these phenomenal American filmmakers who could make you do slapstick in one scene and then absolute heartbreak in the next. And 
to us, that's the kind of show we want to make. We want to make a show where the world can be huge and imaginative. In the background, there's a robot shaking a martini. And in the foreground, you've got the finest cast with Billy Crudup giving in a performance for the ages doing real human drama. So uh, that's that to us is is a tone we're so lucky to have had the collaborators uh, both in the cast and 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 at Apple uh, and the been given the room and the, the, to create a canvas so vast. Amit was Billy Crudup the first choice for for the character. He was, although it was a longer route uh, getting to him. Um, Billy, uh, we we when we heard Billy was interested, we said, "Oh my God, we got to sell this guy. This is going to be the most important meeting of our life." And we get on with Billy and he said, I don't even need to meet you guys. If you wrote this, I'm in, you know, put me in. I'm I'm, I'm ready for this. He has all sorts of personal connections to, to the character. And you know, listen, it was it's beyond anything you'd ever dream of. There are so many lines that we, we'd gone over a hundred times, hundreds of times, and Billy performed them in a way we never imagined, and those are what's in the cut. It was a beautiful collaboration that we are so deeply grateful for. I mean, he just... There, there is no, there, there, you know, there's no Jack without Billy, you know, you know, it's just, it's, he's the best. It's a, Lucas is a great cast and, and getting Hank Azaria too, who in his career, he's always played kind of characters with pathos a little bit. Is mm, that part of what he is in this too? Uh, you know, we, we tend to, if we're going to write a character and and ask the audience to spend time with them, we we feel like we need to convince ourselves they're really worthy of our hearts going out to them. Um, we tend not to write characters we don't like, even if they do bad things. Uh, so it's it's very important that even a character like Eddie, who is wildly self-destructive and even sometimes off-putting, um, he is played by Hank with his heart on his sleeve. And he's also a romantic and he's also a little boy and um that's true you know of so many uh, this cast is so deep and so hard working and so talented that they're able to to add these kinds of layers of complexity to the to their renderings of the characters that it's it's a dream to be able to write for them mm -hmm. so amit with that that it is a big cast and you have a half hour for them challenging to kind of get the certain storylines going because they all have their own lives besides the selling of the uh, of the uh, timeshares. There's never enough time. <laughs> There's never enough story. There, there are stories that are hot that we hope to return to. There's a, you know, if you haven't noticed it, you know, when, when you watch it, you know, like, this thing's pretty dense. You know, there's a lot going on, and it's because we're squeezing in as much as we humanly can to get to 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 to, to draw these characters with the complexities that we know them to have. And sometimes, sometimes you don't get it in. Sometimes you say, "Oh man, we gotta we gotta kick that" or something like that. But we also think that that keeps it. You know, that's why it's TV, and we got hopefully we'll have a, a few more seasons to start really unwinding and and seeing what what's under these these people. But you know, 
we, we talk a lot about this idea, you know, that we want the story to be driven not by entirely a revelation of information, which is, you know, often organizes stories, but by revelation of character. So the fact that there are these great depths, you know, the iceberg, like that you know that there's all this to Shirley that we don't know about, it keeps you in the story. And it's our great, you know, we're, we're, it is not some, you know, bait and switch trick. They're, they're, we'd love to get in there and, and love to, to show them. But I guess it comes to a different, a kind of different question, which is that like we really felt that the show needed to be an ensemble show. That it's you know that you get other p- point of views and that it's it's not just you and Billy the whole time and 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 that that these other tones that juxtapose Billy's story um, give the the show a kind of vitality that that makes it fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Lucas, even though this is an alternate history, what is it about that time, especially in the sci-fi world, uh, that is so appealing to you? Well, you know, the, the sort of the, the show takes place in a time out of time that's more a, a part of our collective imagination than 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 a year you could point to. It's it's what we were all sold in the middle of the 20th century that the future could be. And, and it's something that I think we're fascinated by the fact that it's in all of us, that, you know, what a hover car is. And I do, too. And I certainly have never driven one. Um, and. Uh, it's it, in in that sense it it exists in a collective delusion and the drama of the show is the distance between delusion and reality um but that moment to us is fascinating because you know it's uh, advertising kicked into a certain gear corporatism kicked into a certain gear consumerism kicked into a certain gear and to us it's very much a reaction to the terror um that 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 we lived through as a species uh, of uh, in the in the early half of the 20th century of the of 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 the bomb and of the fact that now with one push of a button technology could end that many lives um it it, it strikes us that the idea that with one push of a button, technology could vacuum your living room was a sort of cozy delusion that we all crawled into, um, especially as Americans in, in the middle of the 20th century. And so, again, we're talking about the distance between delusion and reality. What are the stories we tell ourselves to get through the day? Well, one of them is, oh, technology makes vacuums, not bombs, thank God. But well, we'll see how we'll see how that um, bears out in the long run. Gentlemen, thank you. This is going to be a lot of fun to watch this and also a bit nostalgic for me a bit. So oh, I can't so, wait it's for such you a pleasure to, to talk about it, it. And it's really nice to talk to you. Same here, guys. Best of luck with this. I really hope this goes. Oh, okay, thanks. Great. Thank All you. the best to you. And they, let's talk a little more about the props. And they call him Eric the Genius, property master Eric Cheripka. Hello Tomorrow is really selling a dream that's accomplished with gadgets. From smaller things we use on Earth to the rocket ship that takes us to our final destination, the moon, he explains. When I first read the script, I was hooked. Amit and Lucas had a fun vision. For a prop guy, this is an excellent job. We've been making things that are 1950s science fiction. I grew up during that era and was at the 1964 World's Fair as a six-year-old. It made an impression on me. A lot of great things popped out of that era. Ideas like jetpacks. It was a hopeful time, but had a dark side. Production designer Maya Siegel also had her share of gadget requests. For Cheripka, 
It was so much fun to collaborate with Eric, she says. At the beginning, Eric, art director Joe Comenu, and I would sit down to brainstorm and throw ideas at the wall. I might say, I want another piece for Myrtle's kitchen. And he'd say, how about a rotating spice rack? The next morning, there would be a spice rack moving with lights inside and just completed on the set. Magazines from the period were important to the gadget research. He studied what the ads were trying to sell and how it was presented. Films also inspired him. I love the old black and white science fiction movies, even the cartoons. The Day the Earth Stood Still, the original, is an incredible movie. It had a feeling, a look, and posed a lot of questions. How would we react to an alien or technology? As for the robots, they're a fact of life in the Hello Tomorrow world. We wanted the robots to work, and sometimes not to work, so they would be flawed like all of us, explains co-showrunner Balia. Barbot, valet bot, bell bot, crooner bot, police bot, garden bot, domestic bot, ump bot, and orderly bot all mingle freely among humans, providing services needed. The robots are hilarious. They're meant to be weird and kind of dumb, but also kind of cool. This isn't Star Wars. This is a show where technology has created robots, and all they're really good for is bartending and maybe calling you a cab or playing records at the country club. We went for a really industrial, clunky garbage can thing with one eye. It's perfect, kind of cool, and also kind of hokey. The show's primary bot, manufactured by Jet Sets in Los Angeles, performs most of the bot roles. Jet Sets made a beautiful robot with a metal interior skeleton that we adapted with different cowlings to create many different types of robots, says Chirika. They made it so the eye blinks and the head moves. Puppeteers who were initially erased in post-production operated the arm and torso moves. The bot operates with two remote controls, one for the head and shoulders and one for the base and hover. Each arm has puppeteering capabilities. Depending on the actions, we usually had two or three puppeteers working with the bot when it was filming, says bot wrangler Jessica Messina. Props help rig its hands claws to certain items when we needed such flags, envelopes, or cups to help the puppeteers accomplish what was needed to perform for that scene. We also communicate with our visual effects team to ensure our puppeteering rods and puppeteer suits are the correct color, blue, or green. Hello Tomorrow is available on Apple TV Plus as we speak, so check it out. If you love the 1950s sci-fi world, and it looks like a lot of the people working on this did as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. It is a dramedy, and there's comic and also dramatic moments, which make it a very interesting series. It's also a half hour. And as we talked about, the challenge is to do all these different storylines in one half hour. But the team is up to the task, and everybody seems to be on board. Until next time on Sci-Fi Talk, this is Tony Tolado. Thanks so much for listening.